When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This episode, we're considering feedback for Season 1, Episode 10, The Leap. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron. Uh, how, how do we do in the feedback department this week? In the, the we season finale? We got a bunch. I, I think I'm also going to dispense with the Goyer foyer because we're going to have... <laughs> uh, a whole second Goyer floor to this wrap up. podcast. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, we have got, got with him and uh, his assistant. We've got something scheduled for tomorrow as the recording schedule goes. I'm not sure what the release is going to be, but uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, have a whole section on his thoughts. Um, but uh, a lot of people had a lot of thoughts of uh, wrapping up season, season one here. So maybe we can just get, uh, get going on that um, again. Foundation of com is how you get in, touch with the show but uh we are going to steal away like thieves in the night uh to open up uh <laughs> the foundation shop will close move six feet down the road and reopen under a new name called Beltaloda, the officially unofficial podcast for expanse <laughs> and we're gonna be talking about another epic sci-fi show just in a, in a couple of weeks so if you mm-hmm. haven't gotten your fill of sci-fi please come back or i'll make it easy on you uh search for bald move pulp on your favorite podcast app subscribe to that thing and then everything mm-hmm. we talk about with ray guns, spaceships, uh, things like that, uh, you'll 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 get it. You'll you'll be instantly aware. First up is R. Rolson. I can only assume they're a robot. Uh, yes, adhering to the Asimovian naming convention. Uh, so you take take everything with a robotic grain of salt. Was listening to your last visit to the Goyer Foyer and your discussion about the Harry Seldon and the Invictus, which got me thinking. Is benefited Terminus, its immediate neighbors have been devastated. The Foundation's able to grow because Anacreon and Thespis were weakened. Could Harry be more behind the fall of the Starbridge than we first thought? Demerzel tells Don that Day's response to the destruction of the Starbridge and the punishment of the two worlds is always the Empire's response, so Harry might have predicted the response Empire would take and place the Foundation there. It definitely puts a potentially darker spin on Harry, but with the time and numbers he's working with, he might see the death of a hundreds hundreds of millions in comparison to the lives of trillions and feel it's a it's a price uh, willing, uh worth paying right it's the ultimate justification it's like oh, we got trillions of lives hanging in the balance of course we can blow up a few billion people it's the utilitarian logic yeah. right um i don't know we've speculated about the idea that he might have been behind that attack but we haven't really taken it then to its logical conclusion i guess which would be that, yeah, he wanted to be placed there near these sort of half-destroyed empires that uh, wouldn't be able to challenge them as much. Although I would argue, perhaps, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, that you could be better placed in terms of that. Because if you had some, some you know, planets that were still loyal to empire, you might not be having these problems right now. Hmm. But... What what do you mean you wouldn't be having these problems? I mean, there would be no threat of of Terminus being destroyed. And, and I, I don't know, right? Because this is all like 
oh, but maybe Harry wants Terminus to be under threat. Maybe that's necessary as a catalyst for, I don't know, killing Lewis or something. <laughs> so the foundation yeah. can get on with their work. I don't know. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because like the the thing, I guess, to that is you're right. The foundation wouldn't be under any threat, but clearly the foundation has to become something more than what it is. Exactly. To yeah. satisfy Harry's plans. And and there's also I want to acknowledge there's lever there's levels to this. There's levels of culpability behind like Harry literally is the super secret mastermind that blew up the space bridge that Demerzel with Oliver fantastic powers and the the uh, finances and resources of the empire behind her could not unravel um mm-hmm. it could be that he just predicted that that would happen and sure. instead of giving the empire concrete and actionable things like hey they're going to blow up the space bridge and my you know you need to beef up security and my predictions say it's it's the chances are going to peak in this per- certain year or season or whatever he just says, ah, the Empire's fucked and, uh, you know, it's unavoidable. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Harry even admits that this fall could be delayed. And if you could mm-hmm. delay it, then maybe you could, you know, plan for it better. Or maybe you could shrink that uh, 30,000 uh, 30, years to 1,000 and maybe 500 years. Maybe you could avoid it at all. It's, I think it's telling that only Harry has those answers. You yeah. Know? For sure. Um, so like that is less, you know, culpable than the guy actually pulling the lever. But like also he is being kind of a bit of a smarty pants. Know it all. I know better than you. I mean, that's that's oh, the yeah. whole idea behind like I like in principle, I don't have any problem with something that will sacrifice 600 million lives to save eight trillion. You know, it seems like right. Good math. But ideally, you would be in a situation where it's like a trolley problem, where it's like, well, it's one or the other, so you have to choose. Or you have a situation like uh, in Chernobyl, where they ask for volunteers to, you know, essentially go into radioactive water and sacrifice your life to save perhaps a billion. Like, if you have the Mm -hmm. consent of the people to doom people, that's something, too. But, like, I don't know, there's something bloodless about what harry is doing at a galactic scale um no it's all it's all squicky if he if he is like actually you know if he's an accelerationist here pushing events forward um there you go that becomes very sticky ethically um yeah but i don't know i'm not here to judge the morality or the ethics of Harry Seldon, uh, although that's interesting topic. I guess the question yeah. is like, is is Terminus a place he wanted to be specifically because he knew what was coming? I I don't know. I, I don't feel like the I got an indication of that in the book, and I don't feel like I got an indication of that in the show either. Yeah, that's a good point when you when you talk about because that's that's the kind of a debate we're having right now. Uh-huh. Like a lot of people like almost, you can't find almost anyone that says we have no problems today or not even severe problems. Right. The, the disagreements are between people like, yeah, but we need, we need to make a tweak or two and then we'll be back on cha- track versus people. We need mm-hmm. to make major systemic changes or we won't get back on track versus this is doomed. <laughs> yeah. And what we should do is like kick the legs, uh, the rotten legs out from underneath this rotten table, have it collapse. And the faster that happens, the faster we can build back something better. Right. And, and who the fuck is right? Like, I don't know. But if you're convinced that the system is irredeemably fucked and it's going to collapse anyway, 
than morally, aren't you? I mean, like, I, I don't know. Everything gets really <laughs> I, I'm not that confident in anything to be like, well, fuck it. Yeah, it's just have a revolution and see what happens with the right, you know, the weaker, weaker segments of society. See how they 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 go through that cataclysm. Like, I am very hesitant to do something like that. And a guy like Harry, who is so sure. But I guess that's the thing is like he's got math. Like sure. he can pr- yeah. he can literally like like Rick from Rick and Morty he can he can go to whiteboard and prove how fucked you are with math. Um, that's the that's the thing that makes it I guess a little a little more than maybe just egocentric grandstanding. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's the thing that makes me trust him. It's the thing that makes him a protagonist instead of an antagonist in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that that is literally it because everything else he's doing seems very scary mm-hmm. and that's like you know again versus whether he's passively accepting this collapse because mm-hmm. you know he's or whether he's actively trying to engineer it to happen quicker because he thinks that's gonna it is like like you said it's all just uh kind of kind of icky morally. he's definitely doing that right i mean he admits that to gail he or you know he says that this could go on much longer um mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. is accelerating events it's just like what what means is he using to sell accelerate events is he using terrorist attacks is he using uh you know the setting up of the foundation like what are the things the levers he's controlling here oh i mean just revealing i'm in my mind just revealing the fact that the empire is fucked and not can prove mm-hmm. it mathematically is an acceleration of events it, it is, can't yeah. be there's no way it could be like a, a slowing of the events but um, I'm sure all that stuff is going to be, I mean, that stuff is going to be explored <laughs> in, in upcoming seasons. It, it has to be. That's what's where yeah. all the really thorny, uh, and tricky issues are. True. Uh, John in California says, could you clarify the whole Harry Seldon transfer of consciousness condition? Is it like in the show altered carbon where a person's waking consciousness is actually transferred to a different body with nothing of their consciousness remaining in the previous body? Or is it just a copy of the person's memories and thought patterns placed into an AI supercomputer that then begins to think and act like a person? If it's the latter, then the real Harry bled out and died on the floor of the ship, and AI Harry is only doing uh, is only a copy doing its best to think like the real dead Harry and make Harry-like decisions based on its copied memories of Harry. This also seems to be in line with how the Empire line is being maintained. Each backup clone copy is just like the AI computer and getting real-time memories loaded into it just in case of an emergency break class scenario, your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, <laughs> I, I think it's not like, um, altered carbon. I don't think it's well, n- no, it is. It is kind of like altered carbon too, because in altered carbon, it was only illegal to make copies of yourself. It wasn't impossible. Um, there, mm-hmm. there were a lot of characters that did make multiple copies of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. and Harry, there, there are two Harry Seldon's now, right? If you think that I was about to say, yeah, we have a copy situation already, right? If, if you think that those copies are as good as the original and, and I think in at least one of those cases, they probably are, um, then yeah, you've got multiple copies of him. So I, I think, I think it just, he's a digital file now that can be copied and pasted into any computer sufficient to process, uh, his whatever file i don't know it's a zip file i'm sure 
Yeah, and I wonder. There's also a dis. There's. I don't think these are identical copies because there was something wrong in the transfer process. Right. It was an incomplete. The the one that we saw on board the uh, you know Harry's personal ship going to mm-hmm. Helicon, um, versus I guess the complete. You know, the unhurried had the mental thing, had the nanites dissolving his brain and reading it neuron by neuron. Like that. That seems to be a difference there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I. I, I don't know what that means. And also, like, it's not clear to me how perfect these copies are. Um, it seems to me like they already introduced this concept of like, well, the Empire has got these perfect processes of clones and it's perfect genetic dynasty. And it's like it's flawless and it's well thought out and it's airtight. And they blew that the fuck up in the last two episodes. Right. None of that's true. It's been compromised. Even the source has been yeah. compromised. The transfers aren't perfect. It's been, or if they were, they were undone by nanotechnology. Um, it's almost like uh, like uh, Malcolm in uh, Jurassic Park, like life finds a way. Like maybe the thesis of this show is that life wants to be kind of wild and individual and expressive. And by putting it into like these rigid boxes, like the d- genetic dynasty, that um, that's inevitable. It's going to collapse. You can't have these perfect copies of individuals. Um, but that also bodes ill for the foundation project, right? Like if if life finds a way and tries to f- express individuality, and and this is a cycle history that works on mass numbers of people, and it doesn't account for individuality, then. Mm-hmm. Is that not another box you're trying to squeeze humanity into? Like all of them? What do you do with the outliers? Yeah. Um, no, and, 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 the, the, and, and not to spoil anything, but explicitly later books are about things like that. How do you, you know, this is stuff we haven't talked about since like episode three or four, but in a branch of science like psychohistory, how do you protect, pr- predict things? And I threw off the, the things off the top of my head. Like, how do you predict something like Gale evolving telepathy mm-hmm. or some kind of precognition? How do you deal with for an exogalactic threat that you had no way? Yeah. It's a, just a, just a, a very, you know, just an unknown variable on the board. Um, later books are about how clever ways that you can have fail safes and, and backup plans. But, but even then there's gotta be a limit to it. Right. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. It, um, yeah, that's why those unknown unknowns are so dangerous, right? To your right. plan, right? Like so you if just a can't account for them. If a galaxy-sized Galactus just wandered by and he eats galaxies, I don't think Harry's got a plan for that. You know, I think uh, humanity just probably dies, not. Just, just 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 digested into this hypothetical being. So yeah, I'm and, sure and, there and, are and, like outcomes where none of this survives, right? Yeah. Oh, there's got to be like even even Harry's like psychohistory. There's probably a not insignificant probability that this thing all just fails and you got 30,000 years of dark ages or worse. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just he's trying really hard to not steer towards that condition, I guess. Sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to Ryan says. So the real question is, how do you have a tech to fit a rigid whole boat in a duffel bag but you still have to paddle it that's a great question <laughs> we can't we can't have like a mincota electric outboard with this thing solar powered right you can't have it like nano nano motors it just kind of like you vibrate the surface and go you got you got to pedal this thing like a goddamn 18th century farmer come on <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, they they need to they need to put an engine on it that like splits the hydrogen hydrogen atoms out of the water, and then uses that to power the propeller. That's the ultimate yeah. boat uh, power source. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, th- I do think that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, you can have you can have a, a magic magic kayak, right? But it can it has to be it cannot be propelled. Uh, Rhino says I've read the first two books in the Foundation series, and I listened to them again as audiobooks to prepare for the show. I'll keep my opinion short and sweet. I'm loving this adaptation. I have very few quibbles with the season. I found for the most part the final episode brought things together nicely and opened up the potential for seasons to come. I'm really excited for how interesting the clone dynasty declining may become. The secret that is Demerzel, the reveal of the mule. I'm really curious if they're more directly going to confront Harry about the potential that his methods risk him becoming a different side of the same Cleon coin. Kind of strikes with what we've talked about so far. But I want to throw like I think there is this bias that if you've read the books, you hate the show. And if you're ignorant of the books, then Hmm. maybe you like the show for doing whatever it's doing. And while it's true, I haven't read these books in 30 some years. I did read the the core books and had a lot of affection for them. And I dig what this is doing. I know you read the first book just weeks before the show started. Mm -hmm. And I think you're on board with what the show's doing. And Rhino here is too. Um, we will have some some negative feedback here towards the end of the podcast. So if you're if you're waiting for uh, us to discuss that, it, it's coming. But we're trying to get trying to get the love out of the way and the questions before we get to the just disappointment and frustration. Um, but yeah, like that's I I don't I don't know how self aware Harry is. You know, like if some rando guy just like came up and said, I've invented a new branch of mathematics that proves that history, that society is doomed and we have to radically reorganize it uh, to my prescriptions or we're all fucked. I would think that person is a nut job. Yeah. But you have to accept it. Like at least in the early goings of foundation is like fact uh, or the story just doesn't work. <laughs> I like this. mean, sure. I d- yes. But that's no different than any other work of fiction, right? You have to yeah. accept the premise. If you don't accept the premise, then none, none of the it's pointless to read or or view the rest of it. Yeah, and is it because like I you know there's some there's some crackpot shit we got right now. We got you know flat Earth has come back. There's that time cube guy. I, I guess it would be more interesting if like there was thirty or forty leading, you know, astro uh, the, the physicists. That would be like, you know, we've actually looked at this guy's equations and, you know, maybe time is a cube if you look at it a certain way. And some of these things we could test and like, you know, we've, we've done some tests at the large hard on collider and we collide, we collided a bunch of large hard ons mm-hmm. and it turns out, damn, cubes, whew, time's looking pretty, pretty squared and cubed, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, th- and I think that's the other thing that the book and the series done well is the fact that like. All of the other branches of the science, maybe they're not on board of the cycle history, but no one can just like, you know, do a a debunking of this guy's work. Like, sure. it's truly one of those things where it's like, it's brand new thought and, you know, we don't like it, but we're having a hard time poking holes into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Evan G says about that theory of rebellious dawn and empire switching uh, with the real dawn. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> it was a great theory, though. Uh-huh. I really like the idea um, of the clone. But but that's the other thing is kind of it came true because it turns out compromise. It's all compromised clones, mm-hmm. perhaps. 
all the way down to the original Cleon. For sure. I, I think like that idea though spawned out of uh, the freshly nanobotted Don having his throat cut. And so we were like yes. looking for loopholes. Okay, how could this how could this work? Because we know that the nanobots repair damage very quickly, faster than you would bleed out. But like yeah so so maybe in retrospect like i i now don't i re don't understand the neck cutting um the throat cutting how that could actually kill him if he's got the nanobots in him but i don't know maybe they got to be like reactivated or something who knows well it's it's something that uh it's something that i'm definitely got a got a question to ask for the man himself yeah sounds like it but I like I like the the theory, and I also like mm-hmm. uh, the fact that the cr- clones were compromised, and now you've got a situation where, you know, like Dusk for all is grandstanding about you're not a Cleon, you don't have the stuff, you are an abominate. Like it, it would be hilarious if they're all that, you know. And what does sure. that do to their surety in the genetic dynasty? And the fact, yeah, it's it's <laughs> gonna be funny. Um. Seawell says, I can't tell you much I loved episode 10 from the visuals of Synax's rings on the water to the uh, season cliffhangers to the emotions of Dimmerzel, Revenge of the Machines. All of it was just really well done and I can't wait to see season two. But I do have one gripe. The Empire brought up and I'm sure uh, taught all political machinations, manners, maneuvering in public, dialect, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that struck me in 9 and 10 was how absolutely helpless former brother Don was. Like he was a sullen child that couldn't defend himself. But even a toddler level, he just sat there and cried. Why on earth would he trade his shield for that shitty coat, man? Trade your shoes or something. You'd think these guys would be trained to be world wrecking machines at their prime brother days like a 6'8 chiseled brick house. He wouldn't need that <laughs> shield because you wouldn't test that man. Brother Don, zero out of three badass. He's he's referring to yeah. our badass uh, scale. And if you want to know more about that, just search bald move badass uh, and you'll find all, all, all you can handle. Um, do you think there's something to the man baby that is Don? Um, does that say something about the Empire as a whole? Uh... I mean, it definitely has me wondering when exactly they turn into Lee Pace. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I'm with you there. This one didn't seem on that track, and maybe that's the point. Maybe this one is very different, right? Not just the you know what hand he uses to pick up his wine and being colorblind. Maybe, maybe he just doesn't have the aptitude for whatever he was being put through. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if Cleon the first was a conqueror, like a great, you know, because he's he's this other thing is like Cleon the first was not. I don't think he conquered shit. I think he just happened to be at the head of the empire and mm-hmm. he had the Starbridge idea. And he's like, I'm so awesome that just I just just there's no more, no more other uh, other people, no more sons. I just going to be me for the rest of, of, of all time. Um. Because I, there's a lot of things like in, in real medieval history, like it was illegal to hit a royal person to the extent that like if you had a prince that was naughty, you had a literal the term whipping boy came from the fact that you would take a friend then you'd introduce this. You know, you'd raise these two boys together. So they loved each other like brothers. They were best friends. And whenever the prince did something naughty, you'd beat the holy fuck out of his best friend. And that is how you enforce discipline like you know if, if you raise the kid with empathy then he would not want his friend to get hurt so that he 
you know, wow. but that's how they got around that loophole. And I always wondered, you know, especially when you get into the later, you know, when, when you've, you've gone away from Charlemagne and you've gone away from some of these other great, like literal, you know, he's, they're, they're, they're essentially Kings, but they're essentially up jumped kind of just tribal chieftains that gotten some armies together and, and they do legitimately kick ass. You get several lines are, and, and they've never been beat and you can't really raise a sword against them and all this other shit. Like, how good on the battlefield were they, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all the way to like you know, King George and the American colonies. He was like half like inbred and insane. Like, I, I doubt he would be very good on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And now imagine these people with like impenetrable force fields. Yeah. Where like the, and, and, and also if you kill one of them, it's cool. that will crack out another one out of deep storage. Like did the, are these guys trained at, at martial stuff at all? It's a good question. I don't really know why they would need to be. But they hunt with weapons. So like that's a that's not not martial, you know, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah, you probably have a better shot against them in hand to hand combat versus having a shootout with them. But I don't know how uh, also I was thinking when I was reading this email, it's like, is it that stupid to give away the shield bracelet because if you're trying to make your way through a crowd and every time someone jo- you know in in the underbelly of this society and every time someone jostles you, you flare gold like you mm-hmm. know was that that's that's not a great way to like stay undercover right it's probably easy to track sure. you know easier than even nanobots maybe i yeah and and then like as far as him being a baby like it was a lot. You know, the fact that you, you think you're the love of your life is actually super secret in love with your evil clone. You have an evil clone. This evil clone is going to kill you and take over your family from the inside, which, you know, fucked up relationship or not. This is Day's brother, dad, grandpa we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and his mommy, his robot mommy. So I feel like a lot of people, when their world is falling down to that extent, and it's such a 180 from what they thought they were getting into might have like that kind of breakdown. <laughs> Could but, be, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they do weapons training. Like if, uh, but that's the other thing is like even the next season, like 183 years in the future, if you see Lee pace, you know, whipping people's ass with some kind of space bow staff, like, is that the way they always did it? Or is that a reaction to current events? Uh, who knows? Uh, Sierra. Something small but very striking that I appreciated in the finale was the view after dust through his paint tray at the mural. The camera stays on the chroma as all the colors shift and the picture is manipulated by random colors thrown onto it. Not only is this clearly showing dust disdain for Dawn, but to have this shot right before the Shadow Master tells Day that Cleon's DNA has been altered at the source was a great illustration of how their perfect picture has been ruined. Mm. Bravo to Goyer and his crew for a fantastic first season. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of um, I think that's one of the things that really attracted me to the show and kept me engaged through some otherwise uneven stuff is that they do kind of nail this stuff. And it also wouldn't surprise me if you rewatch season one, knowing everything that you do that that, that you do now, if more and more of that type of symbol, symbolism jumped out at you. Yeah. You know, Um. Because clearly, like, you know, like the, the idea that uh, De- Don painting over his baby mural, you know, seemed like just mm-hmm. like rebellious teenage shit or like callow youth type of shit. But then 
find out he's colorblind several episodes later like how many other things like that did we just miss because we were enthralled with whatever mystery du jour was you know sure or not even miss because we talked about that but yeah they just become richer um yeah as you as you view them through the lens of everything we know now yeah yeah um Move on to Steven says, first time, long time. Love your podcast and other content. You guys have inspired me to watch certain shows just to be able to hear your commentary. Keep up the great work. Well, mm. thank you for the, the high praise, Steven. I have two questions about season 10. Do you think Dimmerzel killing brother Don was largely a fuck you today for making her kill Zephyr Halima? She claims she killed Don out of loyalty to the Empire, but it also seemed like an act of defiance to me. I, I'm going to go with the laws. The robot laws on this because I I think they're at play here um, certainly so uh, yeah I I think this was exactly what we thought it was she's doing this for the empire. There's also room for like it to yeah I, that's 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 my answer too that you got the laws I think they're hearing through the laws I think that um you know when Dimmerzel gets cut or gets like a big piece of shit falling on her and lays her open at the collarbone. She probably receives signals like, you know, Arnold said in Terminator that it could be, could, could be, you know, perceived as pain or like you could think of them as pain, but they're probably not pain. Like us humans feel. And she has feelings of, of emotions, especially when they're like conf- all of her different laws are, are conflicting, you know, like that, you know, you shouldn't kill a person conflicting with loyalty to the empire conflict conflicting with the zero with law which is you have to protect and do what's in the best interest for humanity as a whole mm-hmm. i don't know if those are emotions the way we feel but you know clearly they affect her in in a powerful way you know they make her self-destructive they make her self-harm they make her scream as she pe- pulls the skin off of her skull you know mm-hmm. yeah. um but is it that's what is that what we feel like when we betray like a, a, a deeply held ideal. Um, I don't know. And and how, how could you, you know, it's like, you got a consciousness gap there. Um, sure. I mean, if you dig deep enough in philosophy, you don't even know that anyone's real. Like you could just be a fucking right. brain in a jar and everything's a simulation. And you, you know, like how much leaps do you want to make in, 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 in granting humanity to your fellow man and like humanity to the animals. We shouldn't all that stuff is, is kind of up for debate. But uh, secondly, I wonder if Brother Day truly killed all those people in Azura's orbit. This episode demonstrated that he does have a shred of empathy. Also, considering that Azura would never know the truth due to her lifetime sentence in solitude, couldn't he inflict the desired psychological torture on her without actually murdering all those people? We never know, but I love this series shows enough shades of gray in each character to make one wonder. Day's breakdown at the end of the episode was one of my favorite scenes in the series, largely because of the character building that preceded it. Um, I did wonder that myself, um, you know, when he twists his fingers, uh, we, we don't like see an insert shot of anything happening. Um, we're just left in Azura's place to imagine it. So yeah, yeah. He could have possibly just, you know, uh, that, that could have just been an emotional knife he was using and not something that actually happened. I think it's, it's funny. Cause like, a good number of people wrote in with the same question. And some people even said if they wanted us to know for sure that he killed these people, mm-hmm. then, he, you know, obviously since she worked with a bunch of people in the garden, you could have had a gardener back there, just kind of pruning shit and just collapse, you know, sure. like when he did the yeah. thing. So why would they leave it ambiguous? Um, 
as a person who never even considered that it was ambiguous, um, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer because like to me, the other question is why would, why would they take pity on her that way? Yeah. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Yeah. Like he seemed really Jones, uh, really charged up about the fact that she's killed his legacy. He's going to kill her legacy. Um, and as far as the, you know, people like, ah, oh, the 1800 innocent people, like what's interesting about the fact that this is 8 trillion people in the galaxy is so like, this is essentially a thousand times bigger than earth, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can just, you know, easily, uh, divide or multiply by a thousand to get the kind of thing. So like, imagine the president of the United States wants to really fuck with someone's life and you say, you know, uh, he's going to kill 1.8 people. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that that is just not going to be noticed. I'm sorry. Like that's just a random accident that someone just got murdered or mugged in a side of the road. Like no one's going to. So like 1,800 people sounds like a lot, but in eight billion people in 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 a place that has total control like Trantor, uh, I don't know that it's all that much. Yeah. And I I think that like Brother Day has got like the beginning of empathy for some of his subjects and all that. And um, but like I I don't know um. Yeah, the, 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 I guess my, the other question I had is like, how is it public knowledge? Like, is is like, uh, would what what is what is more useful to the empire? Getting out the 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 message that someone tried to infiltrate a genetic dynasty and failed, and that we extinguished everyone they ever knew and loved because of that, or the fact that like we have not, we're not, we're not going to suffer a significant attack you know, two significant attacks within 30 years and we're just bulletproof, which is the thing that empire would most like to project. I feel like they'd most like to project the status quo that none of this has ever happened. Uh, yeah. And, and the, me too. yeah, the, the, no one would even find out that there was an attempt, um, to, to sabotage the first Cleon, let alone that it worked. Yeah. So uh, if so, so if you're not worried about sending a message, then it's just fucking with the person's brain. And I guess that's a stronger argument that maybe Dade didn't have it done. But like, I don't it, know so that it matters to do it, you know? so much, right? It, like, it, I get that it's a different thing if he did it versus if he didn't. Um, mm-hmm. it, it tells you something about who he is, about his empathy, about. Yeah, there's an important bit there, but because the show doesn't tell us, you're free to to speculate. You're you're free to think, oh, he's too empathetic for that. He wouldn't kill these people just because uh, this happened with this other one person, and then he doesn't need to kill them. So why would he? Um, you're you're free to to take your guesses there, and I don't think we're going to come back and revisit this. So. I don't think we'll ever get an actual answer to, to me. That's a good point. I came away from it thinking gone or day. Right. I, I came away from it thinking with, with the question mark, like, Oh, maybe, maybe he didn't actually kill them, but I'm going with the show telling me that he did. So like, I, I'm just going to lean into that. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys, so, so the, the question we have is like, is he individually sadis- sadistic or is he sadistic on like a group level? you know, group mm-hmm. punishment level, because like what he did to Zura is pretty fucking epic revenge, regardless of whether he actually carried it because it's, it's real to her. Yeah. Um, and I guess it would have been 
you know, maybe uh, the only thing the the only thing that the only thing that makes me question about whether we'll find out or not is like it is such a baller idea to have Azura still alive and like you know fifty years from now escaping from prison as some old yeah, crazy sure. woman yeah and leading some kind of resistance at the same time that the you know the empire is maximally genetically di- you know divergent and mm-hmm. so so you know and and like could she draw a source of strength from like but wait a minute. You know, he said he killed everybody, but I didn't see anyone die in the garden. Uh, and like, I, uh, I, I, I went into my ISO chamber, hopeful that, like, you know, or just defiant, knowing that if I can outlast this, or so. I, I, I don't know. But the, the, here, I'm basing. This is what happens. We start basing theories on your fucking head cannon, your favorite, <laughs> right? Because none of that actually happened on screen, and that's just me being in love with the idea of what the fuck a person would come out. 60 sure. years from total sensory isolation stewing on revenge i don't know mm-hmm. um but anyway a lot of people uh, were wondering about it uh that's what we think who knows garrett says dimmerzel serves the empire but if empire is defined as a specific specific genetic composition then could this mean that dimmerzel does not have to serve anyone who has corrupted genes i think there might be a strong argument for this it also explain things like her killing Dawn and her kneeling on Maiden and not fully supporting Day, assuming he's also genetically corrupted. Remember the evasive answer she gave about how she can only support Empire? This could explain that as well. How fucking literal is Demerzel mm. when she's talking about serving the Empire? I don't think it's super literal. I mean, the laws don't even apply to Empire, right? They apply to humanity um, as a whole. And and whatever she thinks, whether whether she could get the idea in her head, I guess that humanity is better served by there being no empire and go on a killing spree and take out the cloning facility and all the Cleons. Um, and that might be well within her programming. So I, th- I think like th- there's a lot of room here for Demerzel to act in all kinds of ways. But to me, like Im- the empire concept um is just that a concept it's not any one person it's not any one cleon um and i don't think therefore that any kind of genetic tampering would mean that she no longer views any one of these as empire the other thing is like dimmers has been a al- uh, alive for over ten thousand years mm-hmm. And I think she's been loyal to the emperor empire for a good chunk of that, like, or at least nothing has said otherwise. So I wonder if we're, we're hyper focusing on this, like very, you know, this, this genetic dynasty, even though it's been gone, gone on for 400 years, it's also just the very, very tail end. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if we're talking about all of human history, we're talking about like, you know, the last five minutes or so, you know, of, of, of existence, uh, right. These 400 years. So like, I, I don't know because, and, and even then saying she serves the empire, what does that mean? She's programmed the loyalty. She's presumably programmed with the other three laws. Pres- presumably she's programmed with the zeroth law. More and more. I wonder like, you know, there's that line in the third, I think it's the third episode where Cleon the first is talking about the star bridge and the completion and how like Demerzel hasn't been around as much anymore. And she says, well, you've set a powerful task in front of the empire's programmers. Or there's a lot of systems program to be done. Do you, I wonder if like sneaky 
Goyer was having us think it's a star bridge, but they're actually talking about changes they made to Dimmerzell's personality through programming, which could explain some of her strange behavior 400 years later that like they've added this extra wrinkle that she's loyal to this particular genetic dynasty. And though that, mm. that, that law is, is warring with all her other laws. Maybe, maybe he was trying to, future proof the clone dynasty by also modifying Demerzel and her laws. I don't know. I don't know. It's a possibility, but yeah, the, the show has not directly said anything about that yet. Just wrote that down. It's something to ask uh, Goyer about. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, let's move on to Neil from Australia. Does Harry's fault ever open again? Isn't the Prime Radiant the key or did I miss something? If Salvor takes the Prime mm. Radiant to Synax, which is countless light years away, doesn't that cause a few issues? Maybe I just don't have my head wrapped around the time jumps that we'll have to constantly deal with in the show. If the Prime Radiant is the key, then Harry will not reappear for a long time because Salver was in stasis for well over a century, and then she would somehow have to get back to Terminus. Uh, I don't know. I think Neil's right on the money here. Um, now, do you, oh, let me ask you this first. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the Prime Radiant will be required to unlock the vault each and every time? Or do you think that was just a first-time thing? Or do you think it would have opened regardless after a sufficient amount of time or like, Oh boy. What do I say about this? That isn't spoilery. Uh, (laughs) I guess if you haven't read any of the books and really don't want to know anything about them, skip ahead to 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause yeah, we, we know that the vault opens again, but there is no prime radiant in the book. So like, it it certainly could be a key that's needed each time. And also the the it's not like this thing. It's not like uh, Selden's Chatty Cathy. Like the mm-hmm. they go through some fairly long time periods between that vault opening. For sure. Know? So but 138 it, years. Whew, that's that's yeah. a lot longer than I would have expected. It wouldn't blow my hair back if it was 138 years. But also okay. it wouldn't it wouldn't um, shock me if I don't know, because Salvor looks like she hasn't aged more than possibly a decade. Um, so I wonder if there's going to be. Well, I'll put it this way. 
Gail took a detour between her getting, you know, going from the the deliverance to Synax, right? She went to to the Helicon ship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then she put herself back in stasis, and it's it's quite possible that Salvor might do that as well. She might be investigating where her mom. Maybe it could be she's leaning on intuition. She goes right to Synax, but she could bop around and do a little bit of investigation, and who knows. Uh, whether she comes back with the prime radiant or not, or maybe we just, there's going to be 138 years until Harry uh, pops off. Like, I think Goyer's working with a plan of a, he's going to try to explore the full thousand year um, time period that, you know, like of the downfall of the galactic empire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the books themselves, I think only make it like 500 some years. Uh, yeah. Not, not all the way. So it could be that like, this is kind of like if you if you squint and take a thousand years and divide it by eight, it's kind of sort of right in that that time period where, um, you, you know, if, if Harry makes an appearance once per season to solve a crisis or something like that, then that math kind of works out like, OK, 130 mm-hmm. years in the future is about right where you want to be. So. But they're taking a lot of liberties with the books, so they are. Yeah, it makes it hard to predict anything, which I kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, the first crisis happened, I think, earlier than in the books chronologically. Yep. Um, in a different place, but like it, and then I think the next crisis was not 138 years later. But like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's that's just a timeline that we know they're fucking with. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's a it's a problem. And and the fact is, we just know that eventually Gale and uh, Salver will end up on Synax 138 years from our prime timeline that we've been through most of the season <laughs> but we don't know what salver was doing for that full 138 years moving on to ari says hey guys i have a fan theory for aaron who loves his theories gail has mentioned a recurring vision that she's had of her child as a child swimming in endless water at night when the black hole suddenly appears in the horizon and a tidal wave takes her over what if this old vision is actually a future vision of the invictus jumping in the orbit of synax they create what appears to Gale to be a sudden black hole, but it's actually just the Invictus jump drive. Mm. I'd imagine that the Invictus jumped close enough to Synax, even outside its orbit, it'd probably cause some form of tidal wave, considering the whole planet is made of water. It happened to jump inside its atmosphere. Well, that feeds feels like it'd be a bad idea, but we've seen Battlestar Galactica <laughs> jump in and out of atmosphere too before exploding the planet. Uh, is this, and what's the Invictus doing there? Well, let's 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 first take this. I don't know that I find it plausible that the Invictus would cause a tidal wave because we see that in the Empire, at Trantor, those things jump in fairly reasonable orbit all the fucking time. And if there's that much tidal yeah. forces on the planet, it would fuck things up. Um, now, maybe Trantor's got anti-tidal force fuckers, you know. Does Trantor have uh, any water? I, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, but that, that kind of gravity pulls on everything. Like the like yeah. you know the the Earth's crust has a tidal. It's just it's mm-hmm. measured in millimeters, and and you can't really detect it. Right? Uh, might might even be less than that. So like something like a black hole appearing in orbit hundreds of times a day, I think would 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 fuck with people, <laughs> people's perceptions even. So I, I guess I yeah. just don't think now. Again, and the other thing is like it's it's also important to note that Hugo's thing going behind the sun and doing a simulated jump does not create a devastating thing on the sun. It just produces a signal that's indistinguishable from the devastating thing. Mm -hmm. the super flare from happening. Yeah. So like, I don't really think it does that much fuckery to the planet. It's just like, if you're, you know, uh, 
50,000 light years away like you would be in Trantor at the middle of the galaxy, it would look like something had happened. Yeah, it's like one of those micro black holes, you know, that that we were worried about the large hard-on collider creating. Yeah, Yeah, it's not going to do that much damage. But I I like the idea that this is a ship, uh, a jump drive capable ship. I don't think it would be Invictus, right? Is it, does it use the same method to jump? I think it uses okay, the singularity. Maybe it could you be. still have to be. Um, maybe maybe it could also, be. And that would make sense, right? If Hugo's out there looking for Salvor because um, she's been gone 50 years or something. And, you know, he's been jumping around and in stasis himself. And so he's like 20, 30 years older or something. And yeah, I, I think this could all work out to where, yeah, he might jump into Synax uh, looking for her. And that could be their way off the planet. Because right now, I'm not sure they have a way off the planet. I don't know what happened to Salvor's ship. Uh, we'll see, I guess. They got to find Kevin Costner. Get out. Get off this water world. Find yeah. dry land. Um, yeah. I, that, and, and I guess there's something a part of me that I don't like that necessarily every dream and hunch that Gale has is going to come literally true. Mm-hmm. Like some things can just be night. Like, I mean, I. It, the fair rebuttal of that is like everything, literally everything we've seen has been some kind of connection. So why wouldn't this be? But also, I also like the idea that like, you know, maybe you're sometimes you have a hunch and it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you have a nightmare and it doesn't mean anything. You know, like if you're if you're psychic or a precog, does that mean like every dream means something? Or do you have some dreams of like doing your homework assignment naked in front of the class just because you know, sure. you're human. Yeah, you're still you have a normal human. human dreams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a good question. I don't. I feel like it doesn't work in fiction as well to sort of muddy those waters, unless that's your especially, intention. Especially since there's like multiple avenues of things laid on top of Gale. She's not just a psycho historian or a budding psycho historian. Mm-hmm. She's also a person who has precog, and she's not just a person who has these hunches and precognitions. She's also a seer, a class of people who like in her home planet, that's kind of their specialty, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is a whole lot to code her as like kind of like infallible that way, but but we'll see. Yeah. Um anyway, they uh Ari moves on and says, So what's the Invictus doing here? Maybe, just maybe, it's still piloted by a now somewhat older and grizzled Captain Hugo, still alive through the use of cryo sleep mm-hmm. tanks and in search of Harden, we had tracked down via the last known coordinates of his old ship, the beggar. To planet Synax, just as a second or third AI clone of Harry Seldon will inevitably say, of course he predicted it. Just a thought. <laughs> oh, um, I hadn't. I was with you up until that uh, another AI clone of Harry Seldon, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, do you think? Because that's the thing about um, the vast oceans of time this this uh, show is going to tackle, and we know that Goyer wants like you know, common protagonists and common antagonists. And we got the genetic dynasty kind of muddling around or around, although that looks a lot less stable than I would have thought two episodes ago. And they have, you know, cryo sleep and all that kind of stuff. But we are going to have to get used to a massive new cast every year. Probably like you're always going to have Dimmerzel probably Uh always have some form of day dusk and dawn mm-hmm. you're gonna sounds increasingly likely that you're gonna have a gale and salvor kind of duo staying together in some fashion for at least several seasons but like guys like hugo yeah. i don't know i don't know yeah he can't be Salvor's around forever mom? 
Um, yeah. And I would argue that I wouldn't even want Salvor or Gale around forever. I, I think part of this show, part of, part of the books, the thing that makes it interesting to me is that intergenerational dynamic. Um, like the shifting of the sands is not just, oh, time passes. Um, the shifting of the sands is the people too, right? Like the, the opinions, the, the, the lives of those people are very different and how, you know, as, as we progress through the thousand years or whatever, how do we keep a plan like this on track in face of losing the people who were leading it before? Um, I think all that stuff is what makes it so interesting to me. I don't really want a, a perfect through line of protagonists here. I don't want Gale or Salvor or maybe even Empire. And and I think the one exception might be Harry Seldon himself to, to kind of take you say us himself, through this you story. Mean like some kind of, in you know, uh, copy of him. Yeah. Because he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, just, yeah, that representation of Harry Seldon. I, I don't want a whole bunch of protagonists that I stick with through this entire series, which is weird to say because in almost any other series, I would want that. This is the exception. Um, I think it becomes a more interesting show. If you get like, you know, a season or two of a protagonist that we know. Um, and then somewhere along that way, they obviously hand torches to other people. And what do those people do with those torches? Uh, it, that's the interesting part of this. So I hope they don't stray too far from that. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I kind of agree that like I expect there to be kind of like mini duologies and trilogies like, you know, the first two or yeah. three seasons, kind of kind of like uh, the way The Expanse does that, too. Or the, well, uh, or maybe a better example is For All Mankind, where it's like, yeah, you'll definitely yeah, yeah. have some overlap. But eventually, you know, it's probably starting season three. A lot of people around season one are going to be gone or irrelevant or backgrounded. And if there's a fourth season, they'll be dead. Uh-huh. And like you'll have like, you know, you don't want sudden like complete. It's not an anthology where you have a com- complete disconnect between. But like there's tons of room to bring up other characters as protagonists, antagonists and and mm-hmm. still have like, you know, several seasons of Lee Pace holding your hand and uh, all that. But like, yeah, Harry's the only guy. And I and that's that going back to our previous conversation about what the fuck is up with Harry. I think that's super interesting that you've got a guy who is critiquing this. Um, static empire it always has one guy in charge. It's unchangeable, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then he sets up a foundation where he is still going to pop in and be, make sure that he, you know, lectures his wayward children and puts them back on the straight and narrow path. And like, right. He didn't train a whole army of psycho historians to shepherd this project. No, he genetically coded himself into multiple places. And, um, you know, that that's kind of like the core like hypocrisy or lack of self-awareness of Harry Seldon that it seems the show seems keen to explore. Mm-hmm. I do think we All have right. a, a season or two, at least uh, more of our main protagonist, though. So agreed. Yeah, I mean, they're it, it's I don't think they're going to I mean, they're not going to do uh, like a Star Wars deal and end with someone hanging, handing off the lightsaber and then. You know, like Gail and uh, Salvor are not just going to, like, shoot themselves in the head. And, uh, you know, oh, I'm your daughter. Oh, I'm your mom. This is too crazy. You know, like, that's not <laughs> right. going to happen. They're not going to completely undo all the things they did in season Well, maybe one. Hugo jumps in and the tidal wave kills him. There we go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Then, then Foundation. Uh-huh. That's, the, that's the, the opening sequence. 
All right, let's move on to Joseph. Love out of finale opens up on our galaxy and zooms in on the deliverance up against a massive star. On a second watch, I wondered if Harry's coffin was activated and transformed by that massive solar energy. Maybe it needed an intense charge like that to con- reconfigure into the vault. It's a very mm. cool detail, and I found myself loving every second of its opening. Uh, that, I mean, I, I don't, that's one of those things like I don't think we'll ever get an answer to that. Yeah. But like, I kind of felt that too. It felt like the star was powering a process that was happening but it could just be they wanted that dramatic backdrop and it's very phoenix like right you know like he's passing through this burning ball of or by this burning ball of hydrogen and being reborn and transformed and it could just be all visual poetry you know Mm -hmm. um and then parent that or that the postscript they said should lee pace win an emmy or what Terrence with Terrence Mann and Cassian Bilton for best supporting actor. Um, I will say this. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Emmy people seem to hate genre stuff. True. Like they never they, they didn't really start rewarding Game of Thrones for being good until it almost was bad. And then they kept on giving, you know, <laughs> right. Peter Dinklage just kept on getting like rubber stamp this rubber stamp. So like it's got a real uphill battle to fight because, and it's just like the Academy. I think the Academy's loosened up a little bit because genre work has made them so much money, but there is this kind of like, ah, if it's, if it's pulpy, if it's got spaceships and zombies and shit like that, well, it can't be art. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how serious you're being, but like, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't look. Um, and all the other thing is too, is always remember that you're, the Emmys are one with a single episode submission. Yeah. It's not like a body of work. It's not the whole season. It's not like it's just that you, you submit a single episode and what single episode would you submit in isolation that a 73 year old Emmy voter would see and be <laughs> like, I get episode three. Really? You're going to send somebody episode three and have them get all that. And are you going to send them episode, you know, the, the, the spiral one? Are you going to like, it's, it's a lot right. tougher for those performances to stand out and not look like, you know, out of place or cartoonish because you don't have all of the, the cool science fiction stuff, understanding, you know, uh, holding it up. So I don't know. I don't know. I'd be surprised though. Yeah, me too. Zach says, I was thinking about the changing of Cleon's DNA. In the previous episode, the Rebel Day said his DNA was right. Presumably, the Rebel stole his DNA before corrupting the original. If the Empire didn't dispose of Rebel Day's body after death, then they could use it as a new source of pure DNA. Probably not going to happen as it's more interesting if Empire has this genetic problem. I wonder if the Rebels could tell the Council that the DNA is no longer pure and the Rebels have pure Cleons and therefore are the rightful rulers. <laughs> could be the setting for a civil war, especially if they're power hungry members oh, on the council. Oh boy. So, yeah, it's a real five kings uh sort of thing here everybody's and got I've, cleon clones and i and i've said this about like you know if they're if they're doing the downfall of the the roman empire like there is going to mm. be an east west schism and there could be this war between the pure cleons and the original sure. cleons and the people that are on trantor and the pure cleons and exile they're in some other place in the galaxy and that seems pretty cool and yeah, introducing this Galactic Council, like one layer of authority that's maybe over the Empire. They're they're the Empire's governing with the consent of all these systems, or it is pretty interesting. It is, yeah. It's hmm. Boy, they haven't laid that foundation yet. Um, 
you know, the, the idea, the possibility is still out there, certainly. See, that, that's what I'm saying about the like, rewatch is being rewarding because there's that line that Don said about like, you know, when he's he's reviewing this with Azura in the tank and he, she, he's like, you know, this guy, I'm no more Empire than Day, Dusk or this guy in the tube were because mm-hmm. what being Empire is, is a genetic code. And if you can steal that genetic code and make another copy, then he's just as much empire as anybody by their by empire's own fucking words. So I think that is a little bit of a foundation. Yeah, may, maybe. Um, and ideologically, it's certainly like not a killing blow, but it is a blow to empire. Like if if. Yeah, if if <laughs> Cleons just start showing up in the wild, right, like perfect copies of Cleons. Um, I think that is if I were part of the public and I start seeing, you know, oh, what? There are a hundred people who are copies of Cleon um, and they're just out like living lives among us. Why is Empire special again? Uh, what the what's what's the thing that separates them from us? Why are they the ruling class and we're we're underlings? Uh yeah. Yeah, you start to ideologically break down the um I guess the authority and the sanctity of the empire. That's the only way to defeat something like this, right? I mean, you're not going to you're not going to go up them up against them physically. I, you know, maybe the hand-to-hand thing we talked about, but it, yeah, you you have to break down people's faith in the empire. Um and that could certainly do it. That could do it. Because otherwise like what did they accomplish, right? Because I don't think Cleon's ever going to come out and say, yep, uh, the first Cleon is tainted and we no longer have any pure DNA to pull from and so we're all imperfect clones of the Empire. They're not going to say that. That would be stupid. And if you get the, the rebels coming out and saying, hey, we stole the, we tainted the Empire's clone and they no longer have pure clones of the Empire, so they're all poor copies who's who's going to believe them right um so so you have to ideologically like show you have to show people that this is true you can't just tell them that this is true especially when they've said many times in the background of the show how what a stranglehold empire has on communications like they're easily Mm -hmm. able to like shut narratives down put out narratives like drowned out you know things that they don't want so it's an uphill battle for sure. And, and like you said, you have to probably show, not tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but once uh, you do that, yeah, I mean, things start to unravel pretty quickly, I would think. Yeah. Um, Gene says something cycle history would not be able to predict technological advances for it to work. The galaxy must be technologically stagnant with uh, which what the fa- uh, foundation world seems to be. Um, where what's your take on uh, technological stagnation um, in a empire that's been existing for over 10,000 years. Uh, boy. That's a good question. I hadn't really considered it. Um, it seems like they're making technological advances. I mean, the Star Bridge is a modern conception um, relatively. Yeah, that's true. And that's the one thing that's like, yeah, that is like amazing from our 
uh, perspective, but the idea that it would take 10,000 years for an empire to that does mastered folding space to be like, oh, space bridge to get stuff up and down out of low Earth orbit. Like, that seems, you know, kind of anach- anachronistic uh, for, for, for fake future history. But I, I, I will say that, like, a lot of these types of books have that idea baked into it. Like, Dune, you know has had 10,000 plus years of technological stagnation, you know, and it's all mm-hmm. crusted and codified and like star Wars, same way. When you go back to like, uh, what was that video game? Knights of the old, go back to the old Republic era. They got lightsabers. They got hyperdrive. They got, they blasters. don't have death stars. Like, they don't have death. <laughs> star. No one, no one thought of making just a giant a fucking turbo laser apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but that's the thing. Like, that's not a new technology. It's just like, um, like, uh, it re- reminds me of sure. like, uh, in world war two, like, yeah. you know, the Germans would make a howitzer. That's like three train cars wide. And it's got a hundred foot long, but ba- it's mm-hmm. still a fucking cannon. It's just a cannon that can throw a shell a hundred miles instead of 10 miles. Yeah. Right. But then you have like um, planes and shit, right. That, but then you have that that's yeah. real and those that's real advances. Rapid- yeah, yeah, real advancements. And in, in a galaxy, it's like like once you can fold space and you can harness the power of a star, and like it, you could just run out of new technological advances, and then it's just commodity and making it look sexier and you know maybe more efficient things like that. And I'm not sure if the empire is there yet. And and also, I think there might be an idea that like the foundation, like uh, a gathering of of all the galaxy's best scientists in one place, left to kind of like maybe that's something that could generate some new technology or at least copying technology or reverse engineering technology the empire has reserved for itself like jump drives um like their shield technology that kind of stuff um which would be just as valuable yeah it is interesting in a a show with such advanced technology that it almost looks like magic to us these these jump drives these bracelets Mm -hmm. that can shield your entire body um stuff like that if if you're a writer, what are you coming up with that seems like an advancement on that technology? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Okay, yeah, how do you if if you're if you're working in magic, how do you? Uh, and I think we have an email about that later, so we'll we'll put a pin in that. Okay. Um, Everett says after witnessing Demerzel take Brother Day's or Brother Dawn's fate into her own hands and claiming it was out of loyalty to the Empire, I couldn't help but consider the dynamic that exists between Demerzel and Brother Day. And how this relationship has soured over the last several episodes. Brother Day clearly felt betrayed when Dimmerzel chose to kneel before Zephyr Halima. And when Brother Day confronts Dimmerzel, claiming that her act of kneeling was an act of disloyalty, she states that if kneeling were in violation of my protocol, I would not have been able to do so. To which Brother Day retorts an explanation that conveniently justifies your actions. Mm-hmm. This interaction between the two characters began to play in my head as the knowing glances were exchanged between the two after breaking of Brother Dawn's neck. Following Brother Day's ruling that Don has to be allowed to live. I'm under the impression that the actions of Dimmerzel were a direct result of Day making Dimmerzel kill Halima. Um, after Don's execution, Dimmerzel states that she did not did so out of loyalty to the Empire, which is also an explanation that conveniently justifies her actions. Um, one thing, it, the, the one little wrinkle is like, I don't think that day actually had ordered that he was to be alive i think that he was having Uh a vigorous debate with dusk about that and it could be that's why dimmerzel jumped the gun and broke her neck because she wasn't sure she could do it if day gave a you know the act of throne gave a direct order to spare him so she took she you know her little 
potentials of action registers took took action right before the decisive <laughs> was going to be closed off by one of her many overriding nested logic loops right is that does sure. that make sense yeah no i get what you're saying um there was no she wasn't under any standing order at that point um but also i think there there's just a uh, an invisible hierarchy here like an order coming from day isn't maybe necessarily what's in the best interest of the empire um but and humanity but the broader point here that you know like goyer and his team would have to be idiots to think that we wouldn't notice and that empire wouldn't notice the fact that hey this blonde unassuming android lady has got maybe the most power in because like she can do whatever she wants and always justify it with what well, well it's, it's for your own good you know you might not be able to see it, but I can, and I'm programmed like you guys are more fallible than I. It's an interesting dichotomy that they are absolutely absolute powers in the universe, but there's this one lady that can at least uh-huh. with dawn and dusk usher them off to their death. Yeah. I wonder if she is power, truly powerless before day, though, because we've only seen her do the iron arm bar to day <laughs> and dusk. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Day as, you know, the the commanding uh, Cleon, yeah, probably has a lot more sway over her. Uh, they also, Everett also ponders, lastly, to whom is the Shadow Master truly loyal? When Dawn's differences mm. were first uncovered by Dusk, Dawn is able to be escorted to the throne room. The Shadow Master refused an order from Dawn. Throughout the current era of Cleons, we have witnessed Dawn and Day, or Day and Dusk act identically. The similar gestures prior to the incineration of the most recent Brother Darkness, both being right-handed, both being able to see color, and mannerisms during their meals are a few of these examples. I'm suspicious that Day's DNA has not been tampered with, but that Shadow Master is assisting Dusk in a coup that will allow him to gain regain power hmm. by telling Day that he is altered and stating that Dusk is being examined. I'm predicting that it will be said that Dusk is unaltered, pressuring Day to relinquish his rule <laughs> for the only true copy of Cleon being Dusk. Oh, boy. Okay. I can only go with the rules like I, you can get so far off the map with this stuff. I, I can only go with what the show is telling me. And the show is telling me that day is de facto empire. Um, he is the and, supreme. And the yeah. day is always no matter if it's like, oh, day has aged out and he grew up with this person, the shadow master. And so the shadow master is loyal to him. No, the shadow master is loyal to the commanding power of the empire, which is always day. It seems like the middle throne that like yes. that's their job. The dusk is job is to chronicle and remember um, and the well of experience the the call upon, but not to be discarded at day's whim. And Dawn's job is to learn how to be day. Yeah. And, and, and I think like this is. This is. A scary part of this show to me, like how how off the map are they going to get? Are they going to lean into the human drama of, you know, relationships and betrayals and shit like that with the shadow master and day and these other clones? Like how far into the weeds are they going to get with the human drama versus the rules of the empire that they've established? I think in a show that's already going to be very complex, I'm kind of hoping they, they lean toward they don't have to stay completely in that lane, but lean toward the idea that we've established rules and these rules apply always. Um, and so you're not going to get a shadow master who, you know, 
it just happened to grow up with this day. And so when he becomes dusk, he's more loyal to that brother now. And brother day doesn't actually have the say here. That stuff can get so confusing so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's already manifesting in, in stuff like this, right? Where we're speculating about who's loyal to who. And if you can keep that cordoned off to like dimmer I think that's about as far as you want to go with that shit. Cause it will yeah. just destroy every rule you've set up and make everything meaningless at some point. Agreed. And we'll talk again. I keep teasing it, but we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Uh, moving on to Andy says, Hey guys, long time bald move fan and loving the show. Well, thank you. My thought is there's no way Dimmerzel did not know that Dawn is different. This is her 14th Cleon raised from birth, mother, teacher, constant companion. Why did she just now choose to kill Dawn? Wouldn't her devotion to empire leader to off him a long time ago. If not, doesn't that mean that up till now, what's happened was meant to happen, at least as far as Dimmerzel's directives? And how or why does anyone other than Dimmerzel have access to modify or interrupt the cloning process? I think there's a chance that Dimmerzel herself altered the clone DNA, somehow subverting the rules of robotics by not actually causing direct harm to a living robot empire, but bumping the train off the track nonetheless. <laughs> Clearly, Dimmerzel is feeling her own imprisonment. Is her extreme emotional reaction because her plan has failed? Uh, or co- because the plan has failed. That's the big question. Like one of the big questions I have is, is Harry know about Dimmerzel? Almost certainly he does. And mm-hmm. if he does, are they working in league somehow? Or is this just accidental lining, aligning of goals? Yeah. Because I think you're right. I don't see how Dimmerzel as this robot that's known all the Cleons doesn't notice the mislaced thumbs doesn't notice that he doesn't come back for seconds for on sure. his favorite dish doesn't notice you know these these little things um mm-hmm. but he's she still loves empire because i think he was born perfect and the nano the nano the nanobots corrupted him so i don't know what her imperative Possibly. would do with that kind of thing that like he's still empire he was just corrupted you know yeah, like if, if if an empire was disfigured, mm-hmm. like like a scar, sure. like got a big facial scar or something, would they decant a new one over that? That's a good question. I don't know if to maintain continuity to the populace, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's an imperfection, see, right? That's a. You're yeah, right. You're right. The first Klingon didn't get his face all fucked up. So what kind of Klingon are you if you let your your grill get smashed in, bro? I I, I don't know how they deal with that. Well, well, it's a it's a a visual imperfection. Yeah, it's it's representative of the actual lack of true power of, of yeah. the Cleons. I yeah, I wouldn't think they'd let that stand. I don't know. Let's move on to the Irish monk. Says I've really enjoyed season one and having your company along the way. Well, again, thank you. The finale is fantastic. My favorite part was Dimmerzel's neck break and face rip. You called it Asmovian. Goyer called it Wagnerian. <laughs> to me, it was a metaphorical reveal as she took revenge on Brother Day for having to kill Zephyr Halima, as well as a literal reveal, revealing her AI body and soul. So good. Thinking back now over the 10 episodes, I think it's fair to say that the genetic dynasty storyline was the best element of the series. And because mm-hmm. this is not part of the books, can we say that Goyer and his team has improved on Asimov? Is that heresy? I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> um, they're they're I, different. That's the thing. It's like, can you improve on something that was written, what, 70, 80 years ago? Sure. With, you know, modern day, you know, like take concept and then 
because because like Goyer pointed this out in official podcasts, like when Asimov was adapting the da- the the rise and fall and decline of the Roman Empire, uh, he was thinking in terms of Cold War politics. He was thinking in terms of nuclear technology. He was thinking in terms of um, you know, the vast computing power that was just now being unlocked. And what if you could feed all of you? Those are the things that he was thinking of. It would be weird. I, that's why I like, I think it would be, feel so stilted and stale if they literally just made foundation, the book into a series mm-hmm. in 2021. Um, so I, I think it's fine to ad- ad- adapt things and, and, and take into account the, the new world of, of that we live in where terrorism is a big thing where, you know, political instability is, is a big thing. Um, where maybe like a, a, a overall civilizational decline is something we're staring down about environmental problems, you know, that are dealt with on Synax. Like I, I actually like that. The show is doing that stuff. I do too. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Let's move on to Greg, who says the beauty of a book is you get to imagine the scenes as you see fit and fill in some of the gaps you might have with your own thoughts uh, so it can become a thing you love. That thing is yours. You have it and will not change and you can have it forever. But when another creator's vision on the same story uh, comes into play, it's always going to be different. And you add that to constraints of TV film narrative, making an adaptation that bit harder. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, even the expanse have embraced that to its advantage. And I feel this show is doing the same. For example, I love both the Expanse books and the TV show in different ways because they are different. Yes, they sell the t- same story, but you can explore each one in a different way, in different forms, and that's the beauty of art. 
I think you should stop trying to treat these adaptations as the same and embrace the differences and stop trying to compare the two formats. What do you guys think? I'm 100% on board with that because I think your examples are great. Like, I'm just now rereading book five of The Expanse uh, after having seen, you know, season five. And it's like, what I love about that is like, it's almost always new enough that I feel like it's worthwhile reading the book. Um, but it's also got the same. It's never like, oh, Jesus, they really zigged where the other thing zagged. Like, it's all harmony from a thematic and character standpoint. There's just differences in plot and, you know, like the fact that you don't explore people's interiors in TV and film usually. Unless it's some weird art house thing, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I agree. I like the differences. Yeah. Um, I do too. It, well, as long as they're good, right? I mean, <laughs> well, there are ways yeah. to destroy stories and then Game of Thrones kind of being an example of both of those things, doing it extremely well and then maybe not so well. Um First, how do you adapt something that does not exist, Jim? That's the problem with the tail end of Game of Thrones. They were adapting a sure. book that didn't the book series that no longer existed at that point, you know. Oh, that's fair. It's not an adaptation at that point. Uh no, I, I do like changes. As long as they, they are good and as long as they make sense. Um I, I don't know, I'm torn on this because like I, I'm watching Cowboy Bebop right now. I've I've watched mm-hmm. the anime. Um Netflix just released the live action series. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of, you know, st- style and and all that aside, I was kind of non. I wasn't super excited about it after watching the first episode because it was clear they were telling the exact same story, just with maybe like half the episodes, which meant each one covered a little bit more of the story. And, and they they slightly remixed it. And then I get to episode two and I was like, okay, they're doing, they're doing more with this remix. And, and I kind of relaxed. So I guess I don't like things that trend too closely to the book either, because then I become bored. I, I, I'm like, well, I know this story. If all you're doing, especially an adaptation from in the same medium, but from anime, from yeah, an animation to a live action thing, that seems almost pointless if you're just going to tell the exact same story. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, I, I do want some changes in my adaptations. I do want modernizations and interpretations through the new creators, all of that. Yeah, and even stuff that like is is pretty book accurate because, like, you know, Lord of the Rings is, is celebrated as something that's like you know pretty used closely to the plot. They did make some smart changes, like the fact that there wasn't really any compelling women uh, characters for women. Oh, right. um, yeah. And to give them uh, a, a little bit more to do and say and a little bit more interaction with the main characters and a little bit more agency like that just is going to, you know, play play better for for modern audiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have any problem with that. Um, but like when I, I guess I do find pleasure of watching something that unfold that I know exactly what's going to happen because I'm anticipating like. Ooh, what are the moments that are going to be awesome in my head? And I can't wait to see how awesome they are on screen. And then it's reaction is like, Ooh, sure. that wasn't as good as what I imagined. Or Ooh, that was even better. <laughs> uh-huh. But then there's also like, I know like, Oh, there's some sticky wicket here. I don't know how they're going to visualize this part. And like seeing the ingenuity of that happening. Or again, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, Ooh, I don't know if I, that's the way I would have, or I'm not sure. And I, I'm almost always like when I'm crit- criticizing it, I'm like, if I'm a person that hasn't, isn't familiar with the material do i understand what the fuck just went what went on 
Yeah, and that's like why, like I think David Lynch's Dune adaptation, for as much people like it for nostalgia, <laughs> it just falls flat on its face because there's no fucking way you can understand everything that's going on in that film if you if you're not familiar with the source material. It's like a mm. visual dictionary of Dune, not an exploration of its plot and themes and all that kind of stuff. But you know, that's just that's just my opinion. So I I I think you can enjoy it both, and I guess I'm with you. The older I get, the more I kind of like when the differences when they do find differences do find ways to make it relevant and fresh but mm-hmm. it's always is it good of course you know? yeah is it at least as good or better than the original um and and that and that's what you that's the only way you can judge it really mm-hmm. all right on to we got a couple pieces of negative feedback uh so that's that's where we're at in the podcast now uh alexander says earlier in the coverage jim promised that determinist plot would get interesting as the M- would get as interesting as the empire plot lies all lies <laughs> looking back on the season it feels like two completely different shows one is tightly plotted full of well acted and interesting characters setting up conflict over a novel and a, prov- a provocative idea such as the genetic dynasty and ramping it up to play off beautifully in the end the other is a meandering and tedious plot about boringly good characters figuring out a series of MacGuffins, space crystals and ghost ships and rubik's cubes so that jared harris can tell them something he could have said in episode one the voiceovers dear god the pretentious blathering voiceovers uh what do you say to the alexanders and the audience <laughs> oh it'll get good it'll get good <laughs> give it another season. Wait till season two i don't know i mean in the book the terminus stuff is all there is and a lot of the machinations that are happening um are interesting so I expect that once we get around to a fully developed terminus, um, uh, so, sort of adapting itself and changing into what it needs to be in any given generation or whatever, that we will also get an interesting show over there. Um, I don't know that I would say nothing has been interesting on the terminus side. I've, liked some of the terminus stuff i think it is you know not as interesting as the empire stuff but i i guess i would say give it more time Uh, i don't know i don't know if you're looking for like that very intricate political intrigue i don't know that it's coming from the terminus side because that's the generational storytelling that they're doing it's also a colony full of academics and and uh, and like idealists right it's the heroes of something is almost are almost always less interesting than the villains. You know, Luke Skywalker sure. is a vanilla ice cream cone compared to like Darth Vader. You yeah. Know? Um, they're always, you know, and, and when you have, um, like you said, something that's this interesting and this crazy with, with empire against the, the idealists, the, the space, uh, hippies and philosophers, mm-hmm. it might come off as a little bit, um, and and I also think there was a little bit more bumpiness in, in the adaptation because they're actually trying to ad- adapt some adapt something. Whereas the Empire, they can just kind of like, hey, we just need a much right. better villain to play off, so we can just go whole hog and and do whatever we want. There, it's probably it's probably more fun to create something from scratch than it is to try to like figure out how to get from here to there to there. But um, I I just disagree. I just disagree that the that the the foundation and terminus stuff is uninteresting and bad um i think there was a little bit more kind of 
maybe leaps of logic. But even then, like I got to go back and rewatch this thing on a binge because I or I just feel like that week to week I had quibbles and problems and, and some of them were substantial, like or were substantiated by like, you know, Goyer's like, well, we just didn't have the budget for this or we mm-hmm. didn't have the staffing for this because of COVID or that. So like that, that makes sense. And going forward, I think those things will get better. But like to say that the the main root of the Terminus plot sucked or wasn't interesting, I guess I don't agree. Um, there's yeah. also a lot of people saying like Pharaoh was bad. I don't agree with that. I thought Pharaoh was a great uh, antagonist. Um, yeah, but- I mean, there's definitely some stuff over there that I didn't like. Um, I don't know. It's it's really freaking hard to do what they're trying to do on the Terminus side because, like I said, the book adapting that story this is the reason why people said foundation was unfilmable right that that's that's the terminus side of this and i think they're getting kind of close but you can only appreciate what's going to happen with terminus over the span of apparently seasons of this show like the interesting things happening on terminus are not day-to-day like hugo and salvor kissing and 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 like ships jumping in and out that none of that shit on that scale matters on terminus really the the terminus stuff is all intergenerational uh changes like you're gonna need a lot of time for that story to develop so they almost have to have something like empire to keep us interested while that story is developing otherwise i don't know that this show works at all and and i also got to say that if you're saying something like uh all this misdirection and stuff also jared harris can tell him something he could have told in episode one that is literally not true right jared harris had said this stuff in episode one the terminus people would have told him to go fuck himself the anachrons would told him to go fuck himself yeah he lied to thespians would told him to go to get them where they were because he needed these people to do Uh the things he wanted to do but they would never go along with the project willingly if he told them the truth right so like that's Part of the bastardry of Harry Seldon is that he does manipulate people for the greater good. And how you feel about that's different. Like, it's just not true that if he had said in episode one, hey, I'm going to take everybody out here and I'm going to lead a revolution against the empire and I'm going to undermine. There, there's no way that they would have right. gone along with it. So, like, you've lost the plot if you think that. And I, I feel like I see a lot of that on Reddit where it's like people just decided that they and it's fine. Like. I'm I'm not uh, you know like when Jim is saying well you need to give an, you don't have to give a show anything if oh, the show's sure. not entertaining yeah. you or motivating you or giving you what you need fuck it there's there's more stuff now to, to <laughs> yeah this ain't, this ain't 1984 where we all stuck watching Knight Rider because what else are we going to watch right <laughs> right right like, we have choices so don't feel like just because you're a sci-fi fan and you love Foundation as a kid that you got to love this series like bail on it if it's not bringing you but like. I would suggest that like your problems with this show are such that it's interfering with your ability to understand what the show is trying to do, because mm-hmm. the conclusion you draw at the end here is just it's just not what the show is, is it's not the story the show is telling. So, yeah, and I honestly feel like want to check out and that's cool. Season one is is just like an episode one for that story, too. Right. Like lying to them, getting them here is yes, is just the tip of the iceberg for that. Yes. Uh, let's move on to Ryan from Australia. In general, I'm loving the show, but I'm somewhat skeptical of the interplanetary diplomacy in episode 10. When Harry emerges from the vault, he has a 10 minute chat with 25 Anacreons and 25 Thespians who mm-hmm. no, in no way represent the millions of people back uh, home without any real authority, the rank of starship captain or equivalent, and suddenly a new alliance forms. 
I mean, that's like two small army units on the India-Pakistan border having a chat and suddenly both nations forget all their history, wars, hatreds, and start a new chapter. Um, so, okay. Is that actually true? Because we had the Grand Huntress of Anacreon leading this mm-hmm. band. Like, this is essentially saying, like, if you had a, uh, like, like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their... You know, like like a, a retinue of bodyguards in the cabinet of the United States somewhere, and Joe Biden dies. That like it's Kamala Harris couldn't step in and like you know. I mean, I don't know how popular that would be, but like legally, <laughs> yeah, or not. it would it would it would not be strange, right? Like again, like right. this is the like she wasn't some rando rebel from Anacreon. She was their grand huntress. I think the Thespian side is a little, I understand murkier, where you're coming from. Sure. That's murkier. Cause who is this dude? Is he the grand huntress of Thespian? I, I don't know. But also who would Thespian Thespians send to like, cause Hugo said like, I got the grand, the, you know, I got this and that. Who would they send? Would they send some like person with no authority or no, like, you know, if they send, send an equivalent of a four star general, they're gonna have a hell of a lot of authority to 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 handle the, the stuff so like yeah I, I get it it's I, I get a little bit and I even had that problem too like I would have liked to seen Jared Harris as Harry Seldon have a little bit more proof rather than a theory but even with this Indian Pakistan border if like somebody popped out uh you know of a, 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 like you know like uh, I don't know Noam Chomsky died 30 years ago predicting that there'd be this massive uh you know de- geopolitical destabilization of the american empire in the 21st century and fucking noam chomsky pops out of a hologram in the indian pakistan border and be like why are you guys fighting it's been america manipulating you the entire time you're saying that that wouldn't be a a, a story that they're like predisposed to believe like i i think that's a that's a story that would have a lot of especially if there was, I don't know, a fucking fleet of B-252 bomb, whatever the fuck. I can't even remember. The stealth bombers that, that, that had just been uncovered in the desert. And he's like, yeah, and all these people can help you fix them up. And then you'll have new, like, I, I again, like, are we engaging with the story on its own terms? Or do we have some kind of thing that we think the story has to be doing and we're just not engaging with it? I don't know. Well, know? I, so I, I'm a. I, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. I think the show just didn't show us the things that would be necessary to show us for us to believe this stuff. Right. It just shortcuts it. It it has to, because the story I, is so big. So like, and I will agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they could have sat down like the, the expanse does a lot of this stuff, right? Sat sits us down in rooms where people argue over what they're going to do next. And we could have done all that. We could have spent an entire episode with the Thespian government saying hey here's the story that harry told us do we believe it what are we going to do about it the show's just shortcutting that and like yeah it might not feel as satisfying i get it but i'm i'm just going to go along with it because i know that the larger story they're telling here is the point not these micro stories but i I get it if you don't want to as well yeah if you just think think it sucks you know, one of my one of the questions I want to ask Goyer tomorrow is like, you know, what were your big takeaways? What are your big learning? You know, what what are the things you think, you know, what's what's like one thing you think you crushed? What's one thing you think you could do better? Because I'm sure like the experience of making this, it was almost a four year experience uh, that was interrupted by some covid stuff and, you know, some real limitations and uh, like travel and who they could get and uh, mm-hmm. who they could network with and and how connected the writers could be. And. Sounds like some of that will still affect season two, but still I'd expect a professional team to learn from those limitations 
and maybe missteps. And, and, and I, I want to see what he says about that. But like, sure. I don't think season two is going to be like uh, per- per- perceptibly worse. At least that's not the hope. You know, the hope is like, OK, well, there's limitations of working remotely. How can we work around those? How can we better interface with experts and fields so that we get the science right? How can we, you know, like I, I think it will be it will be better because they'll learn from the experience of telling the story from the from this first season. Yeah. I hope so. so, yeah. Um, all right. Let's have one final email. Uh, from Alex says, I was surprised to hear you say the answers uh, that we got to our questions in the finale were satisfying because I think the Cleon stuff is great and I'd watch the show if that's all there was. But the Terminus stuff seems weak by comparison. That's 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 the that's that's the what everybody says about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the show seems completely uninterested in actually explaining how things happen and is content with just hand waving them away as unimportant. I can already hear Jim saying sufficiently advanced technology, blah, 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 magic, but I'm an avid fantasy reader and even magic still needs rules built around that magic or there aren't enough stakes to make the story compelling. A couple of my issues with the finale. First, we get no explanation of how Harry knew that Invictus was going to be conveniently located at the edge of the galaxy near Anacreon. Um, like, I feel like they mm-hmm. did. The man's an expert at predicting things. This was the one of the first projects he did, and he successfully predicted it. Well, here, okay, yeah, my head cannon on this is not that he had predicted specifically that this would absolutely happen, that, oh, it's going to be exactly right here, and I know this. My head cannon is that he has predicted a variety of potential outcomes, and having seen that the Thespians and the Anacreons were all gathered here. He knew that something along those lines had happened. And so his AI is, is, you know, shunting its, its uh, programming and it's, it's new um, predictions over into that possibility space, I guess. Um, th- that's kind of how I'm reading it. is he has predicted a lot of things and whichever of those things happens, he's now predicting new predictions based on the things that he knows have happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. He says also, secondly, we get no explanation for how they managed to get the Invictus to stop jumping, which is a huge cliffhanger from the previous episode. All we get is a single throwaway line from Hugo that they took care of it. I'm supposed to believe that trader smuggler Hugo was able to easily solve the problem with the jump drives on his famous ancient jump ship. Um, a problem that apparently nobody in the original Invictus crew could actually solve. Okay. Again, Did they say he actually engaging with the plot? Cause here's what I saw. I saw an 18 month montage of the best technolo- technicians from Terminus working together with a motivated crew of Anacreons and Thespians to solve this problem. And I also saw the original crew of Invictus torn apart by some kind of crazy civil war and coup and mutiny brought on by some exogalactic threat. I don't think the idea was the Invictus was like irretrievably broken and no one on the ship knew how to fix it. I think the story mm-hmm. was that something batshit crazy happened and the crew mutinied. And that's why I and was it stuck didn't in have a navigator cycle. and it was. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. And then well, maybe, I mean, that's 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 what maybe the ultimate thing that caused the thing to, to ultimately break down. But like the captain was barricaded in the bridge holding off a determined a, 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 a attacking force of, of, of the rest of the ship. So yeah, like yeah. it wasn't like oh the fucking engine stopped working and the you know engineers were sitting with their thumbs up their asses like is this a plot hole or is this like you stopped paying attention around episode five and started hate watching the show which <laughs> yeah. hey man 
I have a lot of fun with that on The Walking Dead. I, I can't <laughs> recommend it highly enough. Uh, sure. But it's not the actual story that's being told here. Yeah. So I said, finally, and most egregiously, considering that it's part of the been part of the plot since the first episode is the fish issue of the null field. Again, we're given a single line or maybe two about the null field just being part of the vault's protection system. No explanation for why it's expanding. No explanation for why it didn't seem to affect Salvor. No explanation for why it's a seemingly good idea to risk killing everyone on Terminus before the vault could be open. Much like the Invictus, there just isn't any good in-world reason given the, uh, for the vault to generate a null field in that way. Uh, except for the plot required it. I mean, a lot I, of this stuff is either stuff they haven't answered yet or stuff that I think you're supposed to fill in the blanks for yourself, right? Like Gail being the mother of Salvor, the, the DNA coding on the fence stuff. Like there's a lot of sort of around the edges storytelling here that I think we're supposed to understand, but I'm not sure about yeah. that. I'm and not going to say yeah, that this was a perfectly told story either. You, some of your no. complaints are valid. I think they are shortcutting things pretty massively, but I don't know. I think you can fill in some blanks for yourself in a story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the, about the null field again, the plan was for Gale to be there. And exactly. That's Gale why I say to, you know, have spent 30 years working on psycho history, maybe mm-hmm. and kind of understanding better her role in it. And, you know, uh, it it's just kind of like, and that's, I guess that's, I could say I have a huge problem because it seems like Harry's right. Despite all these ass pulls and ass grabs and random things happening and like, Oh, it's a good thing that Gail had a kid or everyone on Terminus would have died. Like, Mm-hmm. But I don't know, because I don't know if this was part of, grand, you know, Harry's double secret, triple grand conspiracy, or there <laughs> right. is a little bit of like, you know, psychohistory being stronger than even he knows, because no matter what happens, it always kind of ends up working out or hmm. I, I, I don't know, because like it does bother me a little bit that Harry's calling audibles like on the eve of his death and doing that stuff. But like, uh, you know, that this this is a mystery. This is part of the mystery, the vault and what's in it and why it's opening and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think we're supposed to fully understand, you know, everything at the end of season one. But but like Jim said, you know, this this isn't a perfect show. I don't think it's telling all of its stories perfectly. Yeah. But like I also see that there's a lot of people having problems with this show that I think are not necessarily there, you know, mm-hmm. like and not the giving it the issues, benefit of the doubt, not having the patience to to let the story tell the story it wants to tell um yeah just expecting it to hand you everything immediately i don't know yeah we've we've yeah. got a, hopefully a lot more seasons of this show i think they'll get to some more. of these questions uh, but but also it's good that you know people are asking these questions because i think you know any writer who's going to be paying attention to the questions fans are asking might be more inclined to answer those questions in the future um and you know take the the feedback, both positive and, and certainly negative into account um, for future seasons. So hopefully the show will get better. Um, like you said, with the COVID stuff, there were problems just logistically uh, that probably affected a lot of this. But I don't know. I expect the show to get better as it goes. Uh, agreed. Um so that's going to be it for this week or this week's or actually this season's feedback. Uh, we will have one more episode. That is a conversation with Goyer uh, where we sat down and we got a couple of questions to propound him from our or uh, from 
me and Jim's ideas. We also got a couple of uh, people that uh, took us up on the offer to ask him some questions through feedback. That'll be out sometime. I'm certain soon after this episode is released. But uh, you got that one last thing to look forward to. And again, if you like epic science fiction, uh, I cannot recommend The Expanse highly enough on Amazon's uh, Prime video. And we are going to be, I think we'll have a preview of season six out, not next week, but the week after. And then the week after that, The Expanse is upon us. Um, in fact, it might even be a week earlier than that. We might I have think, a, I, I think it, it is. might be the preview is out next week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're, I think you're right. So, um, and guess what? Jerry Harry features prominently. <laughs> well, and at, at least the, the he's early gone for of a the while. Expanse. Yeah. Uh, so like, uh, you, you, if you're, if you're missing some Jared Harris and you want to see him speaking in an outrageous belter accent, mm-hmm. uh, then check out the expanse and uh, check out our podcast on a belt of Or as I suggested, uh, search for bald move pulp and subscribe to that feed and you can get all of our, uh, science fiction fantasy takes. Cause there's a ton of stuff coming up, man. There's a new Amazon project for Lord of the Rings next year. There's the prequel series for uh, uh, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. Uh, there's the boys, the expanse. Uh, we're going to be doing reviews of Spider-Man. No, uh, far from home, no way home, no way home. And uh, the new matrix resurrections. Oh yeah. Tons of stuff coming up just in the months ahead. that I think you guys will really like, and you can find it all by subscribing to bald move pulp. That's where all of our pulpy science fiction fantasy podcasts get grouped up. So check that out. Um, thank you. Regardless of whether you loved it or hated it. I <laughs> really appreciate everyone that took a, ch- uh, took a chance on our new podcast and mm-hmm. uh, listen to us week by week. Uh, looking forward to talking to Goyer and coming back for season two next year. Hope to see you there. Uh, everybody coming out of the cryopods at the same time and uh, look forward to that. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.